All right, our scripture reading today is from John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And if you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew rack in front of you there. You can pull that out. Page 886 in the pew Bible, John chapter 1, 35 through 42. And John writes this, the next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. And the two, two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The word of the Lord. And many you may be seated. Well, good morning, and I hope you had a good Thanksgiving or a good enough Thanksgiving in any case. And uh, I want to give a special uh, word of thanks to pa Pastor Manfred for organizing and leading our Missions Month uh, this past number of weeks. And our theme, uh, if you've been able to be with us, has been Light to the Nations. And we've been focusing on God's promises throughout the Old Testament about how he would send the light of his truth and love out into the world. And next week, as Pastor Greg has mentioned, starts Advent. And the theme for Advent this year will be the light has come. So light to the nations for missions month. The light has come for Advent. See what we did there? Kind of put those, put those together. No, <laughs> no. No, you didn't, you didn't see. Thank you. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I had that little quip in the first service, and I thought, I'm not going to try it. And I didn't, and, and it was fine. And then I thought, I'm going to go for it this service, and it just really fell flat. <laughs> I should have just listened to my gut on that. So. But in any case, Missions Month ended last week, and Advent starts next week. So this morning is kind of a no-man's land sitting between Mission Month and Advent. And what we're going to do this morning is build a bridge between Missions Month and Advent. One of the main points that we made throughout Missions Month has been that we all have a part to play in sharing the light of Christ that has come into the world. And um, part of being filled with the light of Christ is sharing the light of Christ. And sharing the light of Christ necessarily involves outreach and evangelism. But outreach and evangelism can be rather intimidating. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to preach a shorter-ish sermon about how to simplify or to think in a more simple way about evangelism and outreach. I'm going to offer us then a vision of how we can do that throughout our season of Advent. And then we're going to close out our service uh, praying together in our groups one more time. So uh, that's where we're going to go uh, the remainder of our service today. So first, the shortish sermon from our scripture this morning, John 1, 35 through 42. 
Our passage opens up in verse 35 with John the Baptist standing with two of his disciples, and then Jesus walks by. Now, most of us are familiar with John the Baptist, but if you're not familiar with John the Baptist, he was the prophet sent before the coming of Christ to prepare God's people for Christ's coming. And so in John chapter 1, the first part of chapter 1, John has been preaching about Jesus, and lo, here in verse 35, Jesus walks by. So John points to Jesus, and he says to his two disciples that are with him, Behold the Lamb of God. And these two disciples who hear him say this, they start following Jesus. And so Jesus, seeing that these two disciples of John are following him, he turns to them and he says, What are you seeking? Which is his way of saying, Why are you following me? And they say, Well, where are you staying? which is their way of asking him if they can go with him to wherever it is that he's going. And Jesus says, come and you will see, which is his way of saying, sure. So there's their conversation, right? So these two disciples of John, they follow Jesus and they spend the rest of the day with Jesus. And we don't know what Jesus and John's disciples talked about, but whatever they talked about, the two disciples of John came away obviously captivated by Jesus. So in verse 40, we read that one of these disciples was Andrew, and Andrew would go on to become one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of his regular followers. And Jesus, or Andrew, goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter, who becomes the chief of the apostles, and he says to Peter, we have found the Messiah. We know where he's staying. We can take you to him, right? And so then Andrew takes Peter to where Jesus is staying, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, it's not difficult. This is not a difficult passage from which to draw application. Andrew's example shows us that there's really not much more to evangelism and outreach than meeting Jesus, being captivated by Jesus, and then bringing other people to meet Jesus, wherever he happens to be staying. So you've heard of WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? This sermon is DWAD, D-W-A-D. Do what Andrew did. Sometimes I think we can overcomplicate evangelism and the Great Commission. Maybe we think we need to have the gift of evangelism. And some of us do. Some of us are gifted in evangelism, but not all of us are. Or we think that we need to be able to explain the four spiritual laws, or we need to be able to answer any objections that people might have. But really, all we need to do is bring people to Jesus. And then we let God do the work of conversion. Because the job of converting people does not rest with you and I. It's not our responsibility to convince people of the truth of Christ. And the reason it's not our responsibility is because we can't. We're not able to do that. Faith is a gift that comes from God. It's not something that we possess as Christians that we can give out to those who don't know Christ. Later on, after Peter had joined Jesus' ministry, Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter gives his great confession. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, because this was not shown to you by the will of man, but it was shown to you by the will of my Father in heaven. So listen, I'm not able to convert anyone, and I'm a professional but I'm not able to convert anyone, and neither are you. 
Conversion is God's work. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Our only job really is to bring people to Jesus and then let God take it from there. Now for Andrew, bringing people to Jesus meant literally bringing Peter to Jesus. But how do we do that today? How do we bring people to Jesus today? Well, DWOD. We do what Andrew did. We find out where Jesus is staying, and then we bring people to that place. So here's our question for us this morning. Where is Jesus staying today? I mean, Jesus is everywhere, of course. But there is one place in particular where Jesus is staying, where he has promised to be, and where he is. And that's in his body, the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. This is a term we use often to speak of the church. The church is the body of Christ. And Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 12 the relationship between Christ and the church using the metaphor of the relationship between a physical head and our physical body. And the intimacy between Christ and the church is so profound that in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul, before he's the Apostle Paul, he's an enemy of the church and he's out persecuting the church and Jesus comes and confronts him. And when Jesus confronts him, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Why are you persecuting my church? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because the church, as the body of Christ, is in a very real sense, Christ himself. Just as my arm is in a very real sense, me. So Augustine, he often speaks of the totus Christus, the total Christ. And he says that the total Christ is Christ's head and his body together. The same spirit, the same divine life flows through both. So when you and I walk into the gathered body of Christ on Sunday mornings, when you walked into this gathered body of Christ on Sunday morning this morning, we walked into the presence of Christ himself. All of which is to say, if we want to know where Jesus is staying, he's staying with his body. And where else would he be staying? Now, it's not the only place he's staying. He's not, as C.S. Lewis refers to Aslan, he's not a tame lion. He's not caged in his body. But even while he is everywhere, He's always here, which means that when we came to church this morning, we came to meet Jesus. And it's the same when we bring our non-Christian friends to church. So have you ever considered that evangelism can be as simple as inviting someone to church to the place where Jesus is staying so that they can meet him? Now, it may be that if you invite a friend to church, they may come to church with you and after, afterward be like, eh, yeah, it's all right. And I bought, I've brought friends to church and sometimes they come and they, 
had a pleasant enough experience or maybe not a particularly pleasant experience, but whatever the case, the experience that they had at church did not yet, in any case, create in them a hunger for God. And that shouldn't surprise us because that's how it often was when people met Jesus when he was walking down on earth. Right? Many people met Jesus, but not everyone became captivated by him. God didn't convert everyone who came into the presence of Jesus. And God doesn't convert everyone who walks into the doors of a church where Jesus' body is present. But I have brought friends to church, and maybe you have too, who met Jesus there and whose lives have been transformed by the grace and love of God, by some mysterious work of God's Spirit. My friends came to see the truth and the beauty of God's love, the beauty of God's love for them in Jesus, and they gave their life to Christ. Not everyone is transformed by an encounter with Christ, but many people are. And can you imagine what God might do in and through our church if we became more regular in bringing our non-Christian friends and family members to church with us. We can't make them come, of course, but, but inviting them to come with us. Not so they would fall in line with our particular brand of politics, not to score points for our particular brand of Christian morality, not to fulfill our religious obligations for evangelism that we're all supposed to be doing, but so that our friends and our family members could meet Jesus and experience God's love for them so that they could find the hope and the meaning and the purpose of life with God. So that's what we want to start doing more of as a church, bringing people to meet Jesus. And we want to begin doing that here in this Advent season as a continuation of our Mission Month season. So when you came in, uh, you were not given, I put that in my notes, you were not given a little card, but there is a little card that was put in your pew rack there. Someone grab one of those and just hold that up there. Okay, there you go. Okay, so there's a little card in the pew rack there. And um, I want you to start thinking about, I'm going to ask you, and before the service is done, I'm going to ask you to write down the initials of a friend or a family member who still needs to meet Jesus that you can begin praying for throughout this Advent season and that you will commit to inviting to church sometime during Advent. Four Sundays of Advent, we have our Christmas Eve service as well, but sometime during the Advent season, you commit to inviting them to church. We can invite people to church all throughout the year, and many of you do that. But Christmas is an especially good time of the year to invite your non-Christian friends or your non-regular church-going friends to church, because everyone's feeling a bit more religious during the season of Christmas. And whatever sense folks might have of, I should probably go to church, you can tap into that during the Christmas season. And so there's a heightened sensitivity to spiritual truths during the Christmas season. So during Advent, I'm going to be preaching shorter-ish sermons that are particularly sensitive to new folks and non-Christians. And I try to do that every Sunday. Not the shorter-ish part, but the... (laughs) But the sensitivity to outsiders and new parts, or new folks uh, part. And I'm going to be, try to be especially thoughtful and prayerful about the presence of your friends and family members throughout the season of Advent and giving 
as best as I can, clear gospel invitations for people to receive the love of God in Christ. Now, maybe you're not a Christian and you're here this morning. Maybe you've already come with a family member or a friend. In fact, maybe your friend or family member is going to write your name down on the invitation card for Advent. And so you're wondering whose initials you should write down on your card. Well, keep it simple. You can just write your own name down, and then if you come, problem solved. Two birds, one stone. It works out really well. But in all seriousness, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, I commend you for being here, for seeking after some sense of who God is and what God's message for you might be. And the message that God has for you if you are not a Christian is that he loves you. And that you were created to know his love and to live in his love and to return his love. It's what we were all created for. It's the message of Christianity. The message also of Christianity is that our sins have turned our hearts inward on ourselves. And we don't love others as we should. We don't even love our loved ones as we should. And our acts of selfishness selfishness have rendered the whole world guilty before God. And our acts of unlovingness have spread like a plague of spiritual sickness throughout the whole world. And we can see it in the news every night. We read it in the newspapers. We watch it on TV. We can see the violence of our inability to love in Israel and Gaza. We see it in Russia and Ukraine Maybe more poignantly, we see it in our own households, and we see it even in our own hearts. And the Bible teaches us that try as we might, we cannot wash the blood off of our hands and free ourselves of our guilt. And we cannot heal our hearts and turn them outward towards others in the way that we should love. And the Bible also teaches us that if our sin and our guilt is left unchecked, our only future is God's judgment. When he will one day come to put an end to all of the sin and the wickedness and the unlovingness in the world. But God's heart towards humanity is not a heart of judgment. It's a heart of mercy and a heart of compassion. He is long-suffering and he is patient, not desiring, the scripture says, that any should perish. And in his mercy, he has come to us in the person of Jesus. And he has borne our sins and sorrows and sufferings on the cross so that we can be free of the guilt of our sin and healed of our inward curved hearts. So he took all of our sin and sorrow and sufferings and shame with him onto the cross and then down into the grave and he killed it all there. And then he has risen from the dead, victorious in new life. And he offers that new life to all who come to him in faith. And there's nothing that you can do to earn his love. He simply offers himself to you free of charge. And through faith in the atoning work of Jesus, Jesus' death and life, all of your sins can be forgiven. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, God will pour out his love into your heart's heart and heal you. And if someone brought you to church with them this morning, 
It's almost certainly because, like Andrew, they've met Jesus and have become so captivated by his love that they want you to know that freedom and love as well. So if you don't know God's love for you in Christ, my prayer for you is my prayer for you is that God would open your eyes to see his love and that you would reach out to him in faith. You can even now, right now in this moment, be made right with God and be freed from all of your guilt, cleansed from all of your sins, past, present, and future. You can lay hold of God's free gift of salvation in Christ through a simple prayer of faith. Something as simple as, God, I'm sorry. I need you. Please save me from my sins for Jesus' sake. There's no magic formula, no magic words that we say, but when we say something like that from the heart, sincerely in truth to God, the Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I commend to you the freeing, loving salvation of God in Christ this morning. Now for those of us who do know Jesus' love, before we move too quickly to think about inviting others to meet Jesus, we need to take a moment to remind ourselves about why we were so captivated by Jesus in the first place. So I want to invite you just to think back to that first time that you encountered the free love of God in Christ. Maybe for some of you, it was like the lights got turned on all at once, like stepping from the dark into the blazing sun. Maybe for some of you, it was like the dimmer switch went on slowly over time and you woke up one day and found yourself alive in the light and love of God. But do you remember that time that you first realized that God loved you? That he wasn't angry with you? That he wanted to bring his life and his light and his love into your life? That he wanted to bring you joy and happiness? And that he overlooked, because of Christ's death and sacrifice, all of your sins and all the ways that you fall short, and he freely gave himself to you? Do you remember that moment? Because if we can't invite others into the presence of Jesus with a memory of that moment, then one, we just really won't invite others into the presence of Jesus. Because evangelism that we do out of a sense of duty or a sense of obligation because we know we're supposed to, we just don't do it. But evangelism born out of a heart that has been captivated and remembers the free love that God has given to us in Christ, that's the heart that moves forward in obedience towards evangelism. The joy of the Lord is our strength for evangelism. And we need to remind ourselves to remember, to bask in reflection upon God's love for us in Christ. We're going to sing together a song. So I want to invite the band uh, to come back up here now. So band, you come back up. We're going to sing together a song, and then we're going to pray together as a congregation. But this song is meant to give us an opportunity to reflect on God's love for us in Christ. Let this song be a reminder to you that first time that you came to hope 
in the love of God in Jesus. And if you don't know God's love this morning, if you've not ever met Christ, then let this song be a reminder to you of the hope that God offers to you in Christ. So let's stand together. We're going to sing. And as we finish out this song, then afterwards I'll come back up and I'll guide us in a time of prayer.